1: Welcome to PX36 Today. I'm Jess Noonan, and as always, I'm joined by Peter Jewell. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Maddox Lawyers, who are the lawyers to call when you need practical solutions to complex problems. Today, we're joined by Gavin Quate from GK Solutions. GK Solutions provides specialist security solutions for government, critical infrastructure, commerce, and industry, whilst providing products to mitigate a range of threats. Welcome to the show, Gavin.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: Now, Pete, you're going to give a little bit of a background about the issue that we're talking about today.
2: Thanks, Jess. City safety from terrorist attack is a difficult but necessary topic for town planners, architects and urban designers. Is it possible for city professionals to design out terrorism without losing those aspects of city life we enjoy? How do we advance proportional security approaches? If we want a vibrant public realm and a genuinely open society, how do we go about more adaptable and effective ways of coping? in a calm and measured way with urban terrorism. This podcast touches on subjects of city resilience. And I'll just have a, 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 qu- a quote from W.S. Mervyn, an American poet. Tell me what you see vanishing and I will tell you who you are. Kevin, can you give us a brief rundown on what GK Solutions does?
0: Sure. Thanks, Pete. So. GK Solutions has two sides to its business. On the one hand, we do blast and bullet-resistant windows, doors, facades. uh, And on the other hand, we do hostile vehicle mitigation. So all the different uh, types of barriers that prevent a hostile vehicle, whether it's carrying explosives or being used as a weapon from harming people.
1: And how long has the business been going?
0: Business has been going almost exactly for nine years but my business partner and myself come from a protective security background. So uh, each of us has been doing something security or counterterrorism related for 25 years. So I suppose 50 years together. And Gavin, your client base would be government, local government. You consult to government,
2: big corporations, companies across the spectrum?
0: We actually started out the business intending to be consultants with a few products to underpin the business. Uh, within a year, we realised we couldn't be consultants and product providers, and we chose the product route. So we consult in as much as we give advice on how best to use our products, but we're not consultants. We're product providers in the main.
2: And when considering, uh, you know, design solutions, so the product placement, uh, are there local design guidelines that you look at?
0: There are. So each city council, local council, will have its own guidelines but there's an overarching guideline that the Australian government put out specifically when it comes to uh, hostile vehicles. It's called Protecting Crowded Places, and there's a sub-document called Protecting Crowded Places from hostile Vehicles.
1: Um, So... Looking back, I guess, over the last, um, I was going to say 10 years, but I guess it's, it's a much longer period of time than that. Um, things have changed considerably in our environment when it comes to safety. Um, how has your business played a role in that change?
0: So originally in the post-9-11 era, barriers that you would see outside buildings were there to prevent cars or vehicles carrying explosives from getting close to those uh, to those buildings to minimise the damage done to the buildings and the people inside. Over the past few years, we've seen vehicles being used as weapons to run people down within cityscapes. And that's happened in Europe and it's happened in Australia. It's also happened in the United States recently. And so you're seeing barriers and urban design being used to stop those vehicles from being able to mow people down on city streets.
1: Yeah, sure.
2: Uh, Kevin, there, there's urban design guidelines, particularly in the UK. Uh, they're, they're leaders in this field, and the US. And I'm thinking about the FEMA guidelines f- um, for counterterrorism design guidelines. Is there an equivalent in Australia?
0: Australia has an equivalent to, oh, not to FEMA, but uh, to the British and FEMA. Uh, could
2: you just explain FEMA?
0: FEMA is the Federal Emergency Management Agency in the United States. Uh, Britain has CPNI, which is. I don't know what CPNI actually stands for. Um, we
1: could guess, but it would probably be yeah,
0: embarrassing. But C- CPNI <laughs> is, uh, is a government agency. It actually works under the auspices of MI5. It's a, a subunit that looks at uh, protection of government facilities, but they've branched out over the years into protection of the entire, le- I suppose, society um, in the UK as the terrorism threat has increased. Uh, Australia has uh, an equivalent department um, out of ASIO called T4, uh, and they are uh, an equivalent, but we hold mainly by the British guidelines uh, put out by CPNI. Yeah.
2: There's a quote from the president of the Royal Institute of British Architects, who, in their introduction to the organisation's 2010 counter-terrorism design guidelines, and I'll just read that. What That quote is. It is important that our built environment continues to reflect that we are an open and inclusive society and that in interpreting these new requirements, our buildings do not convey that we're driven by security measures. Gavin, your thoughts?
0: I think that that's the case. There has to be some uh, realistic uh, realistic take on this in that we do live in a society where people do want to do uh, bad things to others, and so there has to be some visible security element to all of this. But that security element can be designed in largely. Uh, where it can't, it can be made to be used as, uh, it can be an architectural element or security element that looks like an architectural element. Everyone will know it's a security element, but it doesn't matter if it serves another function. I was in the UK last year and saw old bollards to protect streetscapes that predated the IRA even. They were, and you'd call them now heritage or, or architectural, they were ballards along certain streets that had the crest of the, you know, maybe a royal crest or crest of the area, and they, they performed a decorative function. I can't imagine what the function would have been going back many years, maybe to protect around a corner from a, a car going, going off or, I don't know, a horse carriage, not quite sure, but they have been there for a long time. And we're seeing new uh, anti-terrorism measures being done in the same style so that not much changes in the cityscape. The size of the product increases, the size of the measure that's being put in place increases, but it retains the same design with the same crest, same colouring as something that's been there for perhaps 100 years.
1: Yeah, what about the um, the concrete blocks that have been installed in Melbourne? What are your thoughts around that?
0: So those concrete blocks were a temporary measure yeah. and are going to be replaced very shortly oh, with the permanent okay. uh, measures. Because so they
1: seem to have... Um I guess, evolved into um, public art now. People have taken to them with um, crocheting um, covers for them. There's graffiti. There's all th- kinds of things.
0: I think that's a very Melbourne response to, uh, you know, in a creative city uh, for that to be the case. Uh, they will be replaced. They were not fit for purpose. So if they were hit by a vehicle, uh, professor at Melbourne Uni uh, did some calculations and he saw that if they were hit, they would fly. Uh, also, they weren't spaced appropriately according to standards, so vehicles could get in between the blocks. So they were there as a deterrent in reaction to uh, the Burke Street incident, uh, and and I think they've done their job. You know, it's very hard to know if uh, if they've deterred anyone, but they don't they don't work. And they're being replaced with uh, shortly with uh, more permanent measures. A, a, a
2: cynical view, Gavin, could be that those blocks were there and, and other measures in other cities are there to protect public officials from criticism, not actually protect... It's, you know, we're doing something. Here it is. It's very... Excuse the pun, concrete. <laughs> <laughs>
0: but,
2: but anyway, moving on. So there is a balance between functional attributes for security measures and their impact on aesthetics.
0: There is, absolutely. Um, it, it, sorry, where do you want me to go with that? Well, is
2: it's, it's free-ranging. So is, is this push to ensure better security an opportunity to do lots of other things in the public, public realm?
0: I'll give you an example. There is uh, an airport uh, in the Middle East... Where they've put a catch cable system behind the windows, and when you see the catch cable system demonstrated as a as in a product brochure, it looks quite industrial. It's six mil steel cable, uh, thirty centimeters apart, and you go, "Wow, that looks horrible." Now, what what is yeah, a catch? What, what, what is, it? is it? I'll describe <laughs> it. it. The catch cables are designed. If there is a uh, an explosion, heaven forbid on the outside of the building, the catch cables are inside the glass facade. And if the glass fails, uh, it has a thick film on, on it and it will fail into the catch cables. But the way that it's been applied in this setting and in a number of other places around the world, it looks to be an architectural element. Right. So it's protective and yet it protects. I mean, it's protective and yet it looks good. Yeah. And uh, and it looks like a design feature for uh, for the building. The same can be done with barriers that are put around town as an example Mm -hmm. there are concrete blocks that go a little bit into the ground not the concrete blocks that we're talking about that the concrete blocks you saw in the city were from a higher company who used those blocks those blocks were there to hold down marquees and temporary buildings at major events oh wow That was the main purpose of those blocks, that is the main purpose of those blocks. So a very, very temporary measure. When I talk about concrete blocks that are supplied by companies like myself, where you can have a range of finishes, they can be used as planters, uh, they can be a polished look, they can have an apex if you don't want people to be sitting on them, they can be flat and have a bench put on them if you do want, they can be done as graphic concrete. With a, it's a chemical etch that goes into the concrete, so you could put a coat of arms, you could tell the story of sports stars if you were putting it around mm. a stadium. So, in itself, it becomes a design feature and something to attract uh, the public, rather than something that pushes the public away and says, "Don't enter, this is a security zone."
1: Mm.
2: Yeah.
0: I, I'm thinking. I saw some photos of the
2: bollards or the street installations outside the Wall Street Stock Exchange. And they've become a place of seating and conversation and pride for
0: the the citizens there. That's right. And I think City of Melbourne is going uh, along that path Mm -hmm. in trying to get as much street furniture uh, as security measures in place. Now, all of that street furniture has to be designed for purpose. So it's got to be able to stop a certain mass going certain speed, but it can look like anything. And if it fits into the urban landscape, so much the better. If it becomes a feature, so much the better.
1: Thank you to Song Bowden planners who offer excellent personalised service. Call Dave Song or Dan Bowden through details on our website.
2: Also, we thank Victorian Planning Reports, our very first supporter. If you want the A to Z of planning decisions in Victoria and excellent editorials, please get yourself a subscription to the VPRs. Details on our website.
1: And finally, thank you to Salt Traffic and Waste Engineering, who are a highly skilled group of professionals under the direction of the wonderful Joe Garrity. Details also on our website. In, in planning, um, urban design, I guess, focuses on preventing crime through passive surveillance, um, active street frontages and mixing of land uses. Um, how, does the, how, does, how do the bollards and what we're talking about fit into that, do you think?
2: It is it sort of part of an evolution? Yeah. A lot of planning uh, you know, in the last 20 years has been about designing public spaces and cityscapes so that people are comfortable walking in those spaces that you've got eyes on the street all the time, so to speak.
1: Clear glazing at ground level and those sorts of things, entrances. Right. And, yeah. So Sorry, I'm probably using too much planning lingo here. <laughs> no, it,
0: I, I get it. I think that uh, taking away from uh, products rather and moving to bespoke design mm. for a landscape or for an, a cityscape where you'd like to protect that area from – Uh, say, a hostile vehicle coming through, uh, is easily doable. So it doesn't always have to be an off-the-shelf product. It doesn't have to be purpose-designed street furniture. If we can design uh, walls, uh, retaining walls, uh, put in planters, or imagine multi-level staircases up to a street mall Mm. that would prevent a vehicle getting into that mall because it just can't mount the steps... Mm. um, you know, change angles using uh, using concrete uh, and and, uh, landscaping. Mm. You've got a number of factors
2: going here. I mean, in terms of, you know, you've got disability access issues, you've got the city is a living beast in terms of the commercial environment. Delivery trucks need
0: to get in. Yes. Need to be...
1: generally, yeah.
0: So there's a lot of different factors in coming into... There are certain places where you cannot get away from a straight-out security measure that looks like a security measure, and that would be your classic stainless steel or powder-coated bollard. Uh, it could be of any design, so it could be a cylindrical pole, it could be shaped, it could have some heritage look to it. Mm-hmm. But there's certain places where you just cannot get away from that type of design. Yeah.
2: Just on that. Just on what is a bollard. Now, it's, it's everyone knows what a bollard is. My understanding is that they're originally marine fixtures to tie, you know, tie ships together with the ropes. But you, tell us more about.
0: Bollards. There's a misconception in the media right now that everything that is in place to stop a vehicle is called a bollard. It's not the case. So you hear about the temporary concrete blocks that have been placed in Melbourne, referred to as ballards. They're not ballards, they're concrete blocks. Ballard traditionally in our industry is a steel pole that's put into a purpose-designed footing. It could be varying depth, going down a metre or as shallow as 200 mil to stop a vehicle coming through. So ballards refer to the poles, steel poles, and then you have the various other barriers that are out there that are not bollards as such. They're hostile vehicle mitigation measures, speaking industry jargon, but could, could be anything else other than a bollard.
2: If If we turn our cities into fortresses, that, you know, the values of openness and freedom of movement are lost and a sense of you know, what's called architecture of paranoia prevails. Any thoughts? I mean, we've
0: been talking about this. I think people are resilient and they get used to the features that are in place. So if we take a street mall where vehicular traffic isn't normally allowed, it's a shopping strip that allows people to walk through the, stopping strip, the shopping strip. If you have a stylized design, whether it be a purpose-designed concrete block with the features that I mentioned, a planter or bollards, Eventually it becomes part of the environment and people just walk by it without noticing that it's there. And if it doesn't impede them from getting through, after the news hoopla about the installation dies down, you know, in the weeks afterwards, it will just be another part of our urban environment. And I don't believe that it will change people's mindsets all that much. If you walk around London, you see a lot of security or anti-vehicle measures in place you walk around New York, similar, and you'll see that no one pays them any mind. Mm-hmm. You know, people pay no attention to them. So I think that people are very accepting and very quickly deal with whatever it is that's in front of them.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, there, there is one concern, and that is if you make some areas secure, the problems go somewhere else. That the unfriendlies, we'll call them that, will go to another, choose out a softer target.
0: thoughts of course i agree Um, every every place that you protect opens up another place that uh, that is unprotected and perhaps makes that into more of a target the government's document uh, protecting crowded places that was released last year this is an australian government document really put the onus back on those places where crowds are attracted to and the people responsible for those places to protect their own spaces. And that has been a real change in the industry. So you're looking at local city councils that might hold one or two festivals a year, people that put on sporting events or concerts, uh, people or organisations that hold street festivals. I think
2: I heard about the St Kilda Festival. Were you involved in that? Yeah,
0: we were. Mm. All of these... uh, Councils and private organizations, shopping malls, that before last year were not, or did not think of themselves necessarily as being responsible for protecting the people that came into their spaces, Mm -hmm. have, through this document, been made responsible. And so we're seeing a shift in the industry where a small local council who might put on two large festivals in a year, uh, thought that it was a police problem prior to this, or maybe a federal state or federal government problem before this, it's now their problem. And so they're looking at measures that they can uh, put in place to protect people coming into their spaces. And in some, uh, in some cases, what's appropriate is temporary measures so that you don't, uh, you don't necessarily have your permanent ballard, your permanent uh, concrete block or whatever it may be, or your street furniture, but for the St Kilda Festival, we were able to supply a temporary barrier that can be set up in place for the day and then taken down, collapsed, and used for the next festival. And there's a lot of interest in that type of product for all those types of events and festivals mm. that I mentioned.
1: Yeah. What about other examples around the world? I mean, is that the common approach that most countries would take?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I travel to security trade shows. And we're always looking for new products to bring to the Australian market, and so you're finding these types of products evolving. The threat is in the Western world, common to the Western world, and so you have people in Western countries looking to design and come up with product that fits in with the urban landscape. Could be temporary, could be permanent, uh, could be manually removable. Uh, there are a range of, uh, of methods or approaches to solving the problem.
2: I mean, Gav, we, we, I mean, we have a problem, I think, with perceptions because, you know, when you see security cameras everywhere and if hostile spa- and areas become unfriendly to citizens, they won't use those spaces. So, in effect,
0: the unfriendlies have won. Do you, do you... I, I think to a degree that's right. Again, I think people are resilient though. So, I believe that London is the most heavily uh, CCTV'd city in, in the world. As a tourist in London last year, tourist and business person, uh, depending on which day of the week it was, uh, it, it wasn't that noticeable to me, the, the cameras, what was more noticeable to someone who's in the know was the security barriers at ground level and, I suppose, police officers with assault rifles, which is not part of the normal, uh, you know, what you imagine the the London Bobby to be, uh, but, you know, very much in in evidence was uh, police with weapons. I think security has to be holistic. You cannot take one measure, be it a camera, a bollard, glazing... uh, or an armed police officer and say that individually is the solution to the problem. There does need to be a range of measures that uh, that help the problem. I, I do have a bias, I suppose, against CCTV. Cities, uh, governments do see it as a security solution. I think it's forensic in value. I think it very seldom prevents anything from happening. Helps you catch the bad guy after the event, or understand what happened, if so, if some sort of serious crime takes place, but I, I haven't heard of CCTV actually being used to stop something before it happens. Uh, talking about the UK, um, we'll talk
2: just briefly about the building regulatory framework in Australia. Um, It doesn't seem to consider the security of buildings. I could be wrong. In the UK, there is the Sustainable and Secure Buildings Act 2004, and... I'll just quote from what this Act. This Act, along with a set of building reg- regulations, have been developed to further conservation of fuel and power, prevent waste, undue consumption, misuse of con- or contamination of water, further the protection or enhancement of the environment, facilitate sustainable development, and or further the prevention or detection of crime or terrorism. It's, it does a lot, the Act. Um, but that reference on... Prevention and detection of crime or terrorism is is it sensible for Australia to have similar
0: uh, embedded provisions in the building regs? do you think I think so. It just shows me how much more integrated the UK is in their in their thinking and bringing all of those issues across all aspects of design
1: mm, It's a bit more holistic
0: yeah, uh, I think that's the way to go for us, frankly
1: yeah.
2: And talking about embedding safety, again, that's that consciousness in the
0: design professionals and the regulatory environment should become part of the thinking for the design of every building, not just for terrorism, but for for crime.
1: So Gavin, just finishing up, do you have any uh, key messages that you would give to planners and urban designers in the industry?
0: I would say this, that citizens, Citizen Joe or Joan, are becoming more and more conscious of their own personal security from a crime point of view, as well as the bigger issues of terrorism. The earlier that security design comes into the planning process, uh, the better the outcome will be in terms of look, and the cheaper the the design will be at the end. Trying to integrate security measures after a space has been designed is never going to work as well. It's never going to look as good and it's going to cost a lot more. So start early would be my advice. Okay.
2: Well, well, Gavin, very interesting. Uh, Difficult subjects, difficult subjects for a lot of our listeners and I know for us personally. Um, But thank you very much for an informative uh, discussion and thank you, Jess. Thank you. Thanks
0: for having me.